Thanks for reading for us, Margaret. Uh, here's our outline for today. Uh, it's on the Sunday Hub as well, if you'd like to have it in front of you the whole time, um, which could be a helpful thing to do. Uh, three points. Number one, a loaded question. Number two, a stunning answer. And number three, a greater loyalty. A loaded question, a stunning answer, a greater loyalty. Now, there's a bit of a saying, um, I think it's a pretty common saying, uh, things you're not meant to talk about. Don't talk about politics or religion. Well, today our passage is about both, so uh, sorry about that. And as a bonus, it's got taxes in there as well. So um, politics, religion and money, just uh, uh, great things to be talking about. Uh, the series we're doing at the moment is called The King Among Us. Jesus has been out doing ministry uh, in Israel, in the little towns and in the villages, but finally he's come into the big city. He's in Jerusalem. He's come to be among the people. He's come to confront the people about who he is and what he's here to do. And over the last few weeks, we've been seeing that confrontation unfold. And today, Jesus gets asked a loaded question, a very political sort of question, politically charged. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I don't know how much you uh, think about politics and that sort of thing. I, um, I, you know, I sort of try and read the ABC occasionally and keep up with politics a little bit. Bits of it still go right over my head and I forget whose name is who and that sort of thing. But to me, the whole political world uh, often seems pretty nuts. It, it's always confrontational, isn't it? It's always full of kind of fighting and disagreements. Uh, uh, and I'm sure it's not easy being a politician, but it, it sort of seems like half the time the politicians aren't really interested in making thoughtful decisions. It's just about disagreeing with your opponent and trying to make your opponent look bad. You know, we've got a state election coming up and, and so heaps of things are being thrown around at the moment. This week it was things like um, how over the last couple of years the government has stopped the uh, supercars race in the city, the Adelaide 500. Uh, I don't know if you followed kind of this story that the government sort of said it's not sustainable anymore, it doesn't make sense. Um, but of course, coming up to the election... The opposition has to come out and say, ah, you idiots, you took away this great event. Well, you take it away, we're going to bring it back. And of course, you know, it, it works the other way as well. The government's been saying, well, well you closed down the Repat Hospital. We're, we're opening up the Repat again. We've brought that back. Or another one I saw this week, the government was pumping up how much money they've put into national parks. And the opposition said, well, we're going to build a new aquatic centre. There you go, just tit for tat, isn't it? Uh, and politics, I think, always kind of seems to be like this, you know, they're rubbish, our plan's better, they're wrong, we're right. And so politics is incredibly divisive. We talk about things like the political left and the political right. And it's very tribal, which means you sort of pick a side or you don't, maybe you don't even pick a side, you just start hanging out with particular people and you start to feel like you belong in that certain place, you belong with that certain tribe, that type of people, and, and people just sort of start to expect that you'll start to agree with that, what that particular tribe thinks with all their political views. It kind of quickly becomes not so much about thoughtfully considering different issues, it just sort of becomes an us versus them, it becomes very tribal. Are you on this side or that? Are you with us or are you against us? So politics, it's very confrontational, it's very divisive, it's very tribal. I know the reason why they say never talk about politics is you can never agree on anything, right? But I wonder if even that much we could agree on, that politics is divisive, confrontational, and tribal. And actually, politics has always been that way. In first century Jerusalem, in the time of Jesus, if anything, it was even more like this. Very tense politically. 
And this is why that question that Jesus was asked was so loaded, because it's about loyalty. It's about which tribe Jesus belongs to, which side of the political divide he sits on. And it's confrontational. We're going to get into the detail in a second. But what we're going to see is that as Jesus answers the question, actually his answer to the question cuts through all of that. It cuts through the tribalism and the division. And actually it helps us as followers of Jesus work out how to navigate a world that's full of tribalism and division, which I think is a pretty relevant thing given what the world is like. So let's, uh, let's have a look then, let's have a look at our passage and try and understand a bit more about this question and why it's so significant. Um, particularly, let's, let's get into the first point, the, the question specifically, the loaded question. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll kind of know where we're up to. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He arrived in a very uh, confrontational way on Palm Sunday. It's now, um, it's probably the Tuesday, we think, a couple of days later, and Jesus has been hanging out in the city. He's had this big confrontation with the Jewish leaders around the idea of authority. That's what we looked at last week. And, and the Jewish leaders are getting annoyed. Uh, they're losing control of the situation. So they, they want to get Jesus arrested if they can. Uh, so this is what they decide to do. They, they're keeping a close watch on him. They sent spies who pretended to be sincere and they hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. And so the spies questioned him, teacher, We know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You know, this is just a bit of a big suck up, isn't it? You're so great, Jesus. You're always right. We're definitely on your side. Yeah, we're definitely not spies. Uh, And here in verse 22, this is where they then ask the question. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, why, why is this such a loaded question? I suspect if you're anything like me, if you've read this part of the Bible before, you might have just thought, um, well, you know, it's a clever trick question, clever sort of trap. You know, if Jesus asks, answers one way, he'll get annoyed at the, uh, some people will get annoyed at him. If he answers the other way, other people will get annoyed at him. Uh, but I want to show you that it's actually quite a bit more than this. There's quite a lot of depth behind the question and I'm going to explain some of the history behind it and we are just going to get a little bit technical for a minute and a little bit um, into some history. So I apologise for those who um, don't like to think about that sort of thing. But try and come with me because it is significant. I think the first thing to say is that the tax that they're talking about, the tax that they're talking about, it was probably uh, one a tax called the poll tax. The poll tax. Uh, basically, this was a tax of one denarius which is a coin, one denarius each year for every person who is a subject of the Roman Empire. As I said, denarius, uh, it's a coin, it's about a day's wages, uh, and Jesus is going to ask to see a denarius in a second, which is kind of one of the things, one of the reasons they think that it's probably uh, the poll tax that they're talking about. That's one denarius for every person who's a subject of the Roman Empire each year. So if you're a citizen of Rome, just imagine if you're a Roman citizen, you don't have to pay the poll tax, because it's just for subjects, it's just for slaves, people who have been conquered by the Roman Empire. It's a way of Rome saying, you know, our people don't have to pay this, but you, you have to pay this poll tax, you have to pay one denarius each, every year for the privilege of us ruling over you. Pay this tax as an ongoing expression of the fact that we own you. As I said, it was only a day's wages, it wasn't even so much about the financial cost, it was a way of Rome saying, you're our subjects now and every time you pay the poll tax, you remember that. You remember that your loyalty is to Rome and you submit to us. 
Unsurprisingly, the Jewish people didn't uh, like paying the poll tax. Uh, it reminded them that they weren't a free people. It was almost blasphemous to them. Their, their loyalty was meant to be to God, not to the Roman Empire. And so there was this, a big, this was this big simmering political issue with this, this tax. And the tax, by the way, hadn't been there that long. And it, it actually probably had started about when Jesus was a baby. I don't, if you remember the Christmas story, you'll remember that census that means, meant Jesus and his family had to end up being in Bethlehem. And I actually think probably the reason for that census was because they wanted to work out how many people they were so that they could get them to start paying the poll tax. So it's, it's probably something that's been around about the lifetime of Jesus. And plenty of Jewish people were angry about the poll tax, and actually there'd been big riots, big insurrections, big revolts um, because of this tax. And actually about 30 years after Jesus, going the other way now, about 30 years after Jesus, uh, there's a war in Jerusalem, sort of a civil war, and Jerusalem rebels against Rome, and Jerusalem ends up getting destroyed. And it's all because of this poll tax. It's a big, big issue in this time when Jesus lived. And actually so much so that after that war and after Jerusalem is destroyed, the Romans ended up uh, making this new rule. Uh, They ended up doubling the tax just for Jewish people. So after that rule, everyone else had to pay only one denarius, but if you were Jewish, you then had to pay two. That's that's 30 years after Jesus, but uh, that's how much this was a, a big issue in the day. So look, that, that, that's enough detail, but, but come back. The point is that this question, it isn't just a trick question. This is a loaded political question about a big simmering issue that's very relevant to the people of the day. And it's really about a lot more than taxes. It's not really that much about the money at all. It's a question about loyalty. It's a question about whose side Jesus is on. It's a different way of asking Jesus, Jesus, are you one of these guys? The guys that are trying to start a revolution? The guys that are trying to turn us against the Roman Empire? And I mean, if Jesus said, no, don't pay the tax, that's exactly what he is, isn't he? He's saying, I'm on that side. I'm here to take the Romans down. He's basically saying um, that he's a right-wing political kind of guy, right? Like, down with taxes, up with guns, let's go take the Romans down. Um, it kind of sounds like an American Republican voter. And the spies who are trying to trap Jesus, well, they know that if Jesus says that, if Jesus tells the people not to pay the taxes, well, if he's on the side of rebellion, well, everyone knew what happened to people who were on the side of rebellion. I reckon it's worth just um, flushing forward here, a couple of chapters, uh, to the end of the week when Jesus eventually does get arrested and put on trial. Just to point out that it's rebellion that actually is at the, the heart of what's going on. This is a couple of chapters later in Chapter 23, it says here, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and as you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Uh, But the, the whole crowd shouted, away with that man, release Barabbas to us. They had one person arrested for rebellion and they're trying to release another. Uh, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Another who's on this political side of trying to get rid of the Romans. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to him again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. In the Roman world, crucifixion wasn't very common. They normally only crucified people like slaves and pirates, the lowest in society. 
Uh, but they also crucified those who rebelled against Rome, those who took part in insurrections, those like Barabbas. And even though Pilate thought that Jesus was innocent, because, because of all the people protesting and because of all the pressure, Jesus was crucified. And, and the crime he was crucified was the crime of rebellion against Rome. And as they always did, they crucified him publicly so everyone could see. It's trying to warn off other rebels and trying to say, this is what your fate is if you dare to challenge the might of Rome. And they would put the signs on the top of the cross, the sign which would say what their crime was. For Jesus, the sign was the king of the Jews. Another way of saying that he was crucified for trying to lead the Jewish people against Rome. And it's amazing this, that all of this can go back to that question. Should you pay your taxes? Does Jesus dare say no? Does he say, no, let's stand up against the Romans? Does he mark himself as a rebel? Or does he go the other way? Does he say, yes, you should pay your taxes? But of course, Jesus has been going around Israel talking about a new kingdom and all the people are expecting Jesus to come and kick the Romans out. I mean, what sort of kingdom would it be, this new kingdom, if they still had to pay their taxes to Rome and be subject to Rome? Doesn't really sound like a kingdom at all, does it? A new kingdom, but we still have to obey Rome? That just sounds like a big joke. And this is why the spies think that they have Jesus trapped. But as we get into our second point, this is where we see Jesus' stunning answer. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, this is what Jesus does. He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, the coin we spoke about, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. A little bit like we might have thought that the spies question at the start was sort of just a trick question. Uh, we might at first think that Jesus' answer here is just sort of a tricky, avoid the answer kind of, kind of answer. Uh, but again, the more we think about it, the more we realize that what Jesus says here is very profound. You see, Jesus avoids the simple answer. The spies, you know, they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They just wanted a simple yes or no. Are you on this side or are you on that side? But what Jesus does is he avoids the simple answer. He avoids being tribal or antagonistic. He doesn't rush to say, oh, I'm on this side or I'm on this side. He's more thoughtful than that. And he doesn't say one thing. He says two things. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's first. And then second, he says, give to God what is God's. Let's just think about each one of those things for a minute. Firstly, what Jesus did, wasn't it? He asked for a coin. Uh, someone finds a coin and gives it to Jesus. This is what they think the coin would have probably looked like. You can still go and see these uh, in museums and things. This is probably what Jesus would have uh, been handed. The picture on there is the emperor of the day, uh, Emperor Tiberius Caesar. Uh, and this is what the words on the coin say. Listen to what the words on the coin say. Uh, Caesar Augusta, Augustus Tiberius, son of God. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of God. Which is interesting, isn't it? But this is what the Romans believed, that their emperor was the son of a Roman god. And so they didn't think of Caesar just like we think of our you know, prime minister or, or even our queen who's on our coins. The Roman Empire, they wanted you to think of Caesar like a god. They demanded complete loyalty, total allegiance, 
really worship of their emperor. And Jesus has a look at this coin and he says, well, whose picture on it is on it? Caesar's. Well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, the coin has Caesar's picture on it, his image, his icon uh, is the word Jesus would have used. It's a Roman coin. The Romans made it. Well, in that case, you might as well give it to Caesar. Or actually, it's not even give it to Caesar, is it? It's give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's not really even giving him anything. It's, it's just returning the coin that he made. But then we also, of course, have to go to the other side of Jesus' answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. You have to ask the question, you know, sure, we can give Caesar his coins, fine, but what about this second part? Give to God's what is God's. What are we to give to God? Well, for those who know the Bible well, we've talked about a coin with the image of the emperor on it and giving it back to the emperor. Those who know the Bible well will know that a few thousand years earlier, God had put his, his image onto something. Back in Genesis, God made humans with his image on them. And so Jesus says, well, give to Caesar the coin. That's the thing that has his, his image on it. But what he also says is give to God the thing that has God's image on it. And remember what Caesar wanted was total worship, total allegiance, total obedience. He wanted more than the coin. He wanted complete loyalty. And Jesus says, well, give him the coin, but don't give Caesar your life. Don't give him yourself. Don't give Caesar your worship. These things belong to God. Your life, your loyalty, your worship, your body, your allegiance, they belong to the one who has his image on you. They belong to God and to God alone. Do you remember what we said about the, uh, the original loaded question? That really it was a different way of asking Jesus, are you with the side of rebellion or are, are you a revolutionary? And that's ultimately why Jesus went to the cross for the crime of rebellion. Well, you know what Jesus is ultimately saying here when he says, give to God what is God's. He, he's actually saying, yes, he's, he's saying, yes, I am a revolutionary. You know, the irony of the whole thing was that they were right. Jesus. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He was there to start a new kingdom, to start a revolution. The only thing is it was totally different to the revolution that everyone expected. And it wasn't the sort of the revolution the Romans were worried about because it has nothing to do with the coins or the money or taxes. It was nothing to do with earthly politics. It wasn't to do with military rule. It was a revolution of our hearts. It was a revolution about our very selves, a revolution about our ultimate allegiance. Jesus is saying, above your loyalty to Jerusalem, above your loyalty to Rome, above your loyalty to Australia, if you want to be part of my kingdom, your allegiance is to God. When they put Jesus on the cross and killed him, they thought they were stamping out the revolution and they probably did stamp out the sort of revolution that they thought he might lead. But in reality, they did the exact thing that would start the revolution. Because Jesus died and when he died, he dealt with the problem of sin and he opened up the way for people to be part of his new kingdom by his blood to restore our relationship with God with the true king so give Caesar your money can't you see said Jesus that's got nothing to do with it he's been saying the whole time that his kingdom isn't of this world his kingdom is God's kingdom it's an eternal kingdom and if it doesn't it doesn't start in our world with warfare or politics it starts inside with our hearts It's a loaded question. It's a stunning answer. 
And it ends in the truth that if we belong to Jesus, we have a greater loyalty. Which means our ultimate allegiance, our hearts belong to God who made us and to King Jesus. And if we do have a greater loyalty, well, what does that mean for us? What difference does that make? uh, I know we've talked about some of the more technical kind of stuff today, the Jewish politics, the Roman history, and it's interesting, and I hope that's been helpful to get our heads around kind of what's going on behind the question as as this interaction's taken place and why it was also loaded. But there's no, no point in learning any of that unless we can work out why does it matter? Why does this greater loyalty that we have matter? So let, let me give you a couple of things as we finish up our time together. Uh, the, the first one is I, I do think that um, what we've looked at today does actually have implications for politics if we come back to talk about politics again and I think it's worth thinking about. We do have a couple of elections coming up soon and our political world is still pretty polarised, just like in Jesus' time. It's still tribal, it's still confrontational and there's often pressure to pick a side. I think we can learn something from Jesus' reply today. He's, he's nuanced, he's thoughtful, he resists just jumping on the bandwagon of a political party. He shows respect, you know, he didn't agree with what the Roman Emperor did. He didn't agree with really anything about the Roman Empire. It was completely contrary to uh, God's laws and God's values. But Jesus still showed that you could respect people and politics that you disagree with. Jesus also doesn't avoid the question. He doesn't say, oh, let's just forget about politics. You know, let's all retreat off on our own and not pay any attention to that whole whole mess. Uh, I think it means it's great for Christians to think about how we engage with politics. But what Jesus does do is he reminds us about what's most important. And that's before we worry about which political party that we care about or who we're going to vote for, we have a greater loyalty, and that's loyalty to God. Uh, I I know for myself, I have friends, I come across people who um, think being a Christian means that you automatically have to go to one side of the political spectrum. Probably more often than not, it's the right. And, you know, over the past few decades, Christians have often tended to probably be on the political right, and particularly any party that's called themselves Christian tends to be on that side. I I do want to say I don't think that's necessarily true at all. I have great Christian friends who are very strong in their faith and uh, are much more on the left with their politics. I have Christian friends who are very strong in their faith and are much more on the right with their politics. I don't think being Christian necessarily makes us loyal to either side particularly. That's not what it's about. It's about giving God what is God's. It's about loyalty to Jesus and to his kingdom. You know, my personal opinion is I think both sides of the political spectrum um, can have things that we can get behind and things that we can't. You know, one, one side might um, perhaps be more, more about supporting Christian ethics and maybe uh, give people a bit more freedom and, and allow them to use their creativity, while the other side of politics perhaps is a, is a lot better at dealing with vulnerable and, and working for justice in our community. So it's, it's complicated sometimes which side you might want to follow. That's not to say that being a Christian should necessarily make you more centrist either. I think The difference that being a Christian will make is that our greater loyalty will hopefully at least make us more respectful of others. Hopefully we'll remember the unity that we have to our true king before we remember our uh, our loyalty we have to our political parties. Particularly with other Christians who see things different different to you because we know that it's, uh, it's our loyalty to Christ that really counts. I think lots of churches are great expressions of that, of different sorts of people coming together and celebrating the great unity we have in Jesus. I think our greater loyalty to God probably also makes us less me-focused because if we have a greater kingdom that we care about and that we belong to, our vote shouldn't probably be so much about me and my rights and what I'm going to get out of it because we already have what really matters. Our vote should be more about caring for others, about things like justice and mercy. 
And the last thing I'll say, I think as well, being a Christian probably means that we can be okay occasionally when we're on the losing side if the person we vote for doesn't, uh, doesn't end up winning if we don't get our way because we're safe and secure in our true kingdom and our greater king. And we know that's more important. Well, there we go, politics. That's all I'm going to say about politics. It's a bit risky, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, if you disagreed with something I said or you want to push back uh, on something, um, as always, let me encourage you to, to email. You might like to email Lauren, actually. I think she likes politics, so you can let Lauren know what you think, but no, only, only joking. Of course, I'm always happy to talk more, and it's just a few thoughts from me as someone who um, tries to follow the political world a little bit, but still gets confused by it all. So uh, I think the other thing that we've spoken about today, uh, I think it matters for other reasons too, um, ideas like the idea of worship. Remember what we saw today, Caesar wanted people to pay taxes, but it wasn't really about the taxes, it was about allegiance, it was about loyalty, it was about Caesar wanting to be worshipped. And what did Jesus say? Give him the money, but don't you dare give him your worship. Don't you dare give him your lives. Because that, after all, is what the true meaning of worship really is at its core. It's about loyalty, it's about giving yourself. You, You might remember Romans 12, your true and proper act of worship is giving your life to Jesus as a living sacrifice. When we come together at church and we sing and we worship together, of course, we express our loyalty to God in a beautiful way uh, as we sing beautiful music. But then, as well as we go about the rest of our week, it's there as we live our lives for Jesus. We're worshipping. We're showing that our loyalty to Him trumps everything else. And that affects lots of things. It affects our decision-making, our obedience, our emotions, our affections. You know, we make decisions all the time based on um, where our greater loyalty lies. You know, this week, I think it was Monday, it was Valentine's Day, uh, but also it was the Winter Olympics. So, you know, I, it affected my decision as to where my greater loyalty lies. Um, so Annika and I sat down and watched the Winter Olympics together, which was a great, great compromise. Um, I'm not really into Valentine's Day, I must admit. Uh, just, just joking. We've, we've been talking about uh, a bit as well the last few weeks about how we've been confronting Jesus together and about how what we're on here at Trinity Church Brighton is about uh, we want to make it easy for others to come and, and think about Jesus and confront Jesus for themselves and work out what they, can, they think of him. And we've spoken about things like, could we find the courage to maybe strike up a conversation with someone this week about Jesus or could we go uh, have a chat with the neighbours and give them a chance to ask their questions about this stuff or, or could we invite someone down to the beach picnic next Sunday afternoon to get to know a few other, other Christians and open up opportunities to chat. And here's, I think, um, what we could say about all this sort of stuff from today. Uh, one implication. I think one of the reasons we might be afraid sometimes to speak up about Jesus is that we're worried about things. We're worried about things like our reputation and our standing with others uh, or our position or our respect and we might be worried about those things. What difference does it make for our greater loyalty to be loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom in those situations? What difference does it make for our greater loyalty to be to be to God and to Jesus in those situations? Well, I think we still need to be wise, we still need to be gentle, compassionate as we engage with our friends and neighbours and colleagues. But if our loyalty to God's kingdom If our loyalty is to God's kingdom, then it's good to be reminded that actually our standing in the kingdom of the world is not necessarily so important. Jesus said, give those coins to Caesar. They don't really matter. It's just a coin. It's just a thing of this world. And Jesus knew that the Roman Empire would one day fall and that it wouldn't last forever anyway. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would one day fall only 30 years after he was there. 
Jesus knows that the empires and the rulers of today in 2022 won't last forever either. But if we belong to Jesus, well, that does mean we have a loyalty and allegiance to a kingdom that will last forever. We have a standing that can never be taken away from us. We are secure. And so, of course, we need to be wise. We need to trust God. We need to let his spirit guide us. But we need to remember that we're working for his kingdom. And as we do that, we're showing that our greater loyalty is to this kingdom that will last. As we do that, we're showing that our greater loyalty is to this kingdom that will last. Why don't I pray for us? As your Father God, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you for this incredible interaction. We thank you for what it teaches us about how to interact with our world. We thank you that it reminds us of where our true loyalty lies. Help us this morning to trust Jesus. Help us to give to God what is God's. Help us to give him our very lives. And help our greater loyalty transform how we interact with the things of this world. Help us to live our lives in worship to you, to honour you, to share Jesus with others, to engage in this world with wisdom and thoughtfulness. We thank you that you're with us by your spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen.